Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Canadian Podcast. I'm Andrew Campbell, and we have a very special episode for you today, as the Dairy Farmers of Canada just finished their annual general meeting in Ottawa, and my co-host, Sarah Sash, is live right from the meeting floor, on location. Sarah, how's it going in Ottawa? You're fulfilling a dream of me being on location, Andrew. <laughs> no, it's been great. There's actually a, a reduced number of people here. So the meeting was able to go ahead, but only with voting delegates. Um, so I'm fortunate to be one of those and be on the site at the meeting. But it, it is a little bit different flavor than we've experienced in past. Uh, normally, the summer meeting is kind of a family event. People bring their kids and it's a, a time that we all get together. But just seeing anyone at all has been absolutely wonderful and uh, the speakers have been fantastic. I was thrilled uh, a lot of the speakers this year were women. We had some really strong presentations and uh, I've enjoyed myself. So looking forward to getting back to my family, but it's been a very worthwhile couple of days here. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Like, is there anything, you know, from those couple of days, anything, you know, stick out to you as kind of a highlight or, you know, something that uh, farmers there are talking about? Well, we're definitely talking a lot about sustainability, which I think our industry will be for a long time going forward. Um, but the work that's being done at the national organization to address that is really impressive. Um, we've been able to hear a lot from the staff, connect a lot with the directors of the organization about how they're feeling and the sense that they're getting about things and really um, are starting to get some sense, which we'll talk about later on, of what it's going to look like for farmers going forward. Because really, I mean, we can talk about sustainability all we want, but we need to make it uh, feel like something that we can all adapt to and do. So I think that picture is uh, starting to come together here at this meeting. Oh, that is exciting to hear. And I know we've talked about sustainability a bit on the pod cow in past episodes. So it's interesting that it keeps coming up as as one of those subjects. So were you able to talk to any dairy farmers around there to get them on the pod cow? Well, um, I'm fortunate to have Bruce and Carl here who helped produce the podcast and they've been doing that um, out in, in the margins of the meeting, uh, kind of grabbing people, dragging them in and asking them some questions. So uh, we're really looking forward to throughout the podcast today, hearing a little bit from them. And uh, they've asked them a couple of questions. So one of those is, as dairy farmers, what do you see as the biggest challenge ahead? And then additionally, what do you see as the biggest opportunity? So here's what they had to say. In my opinion, one of the biggest challenges uh, facing our industry is investment in the industry. Probably the biggest challenge is the uh, pressures from other countries wanting to get into our market. Well, for the dairy industry, I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is uh, the consumer behavior. Well, I think we have a, a number of challenges, but uh, I think that the sustainability area is really important to us because uh, there's so much that's being said about it, but we're also, you know, we have made a lot of improvements on the farm, but we still have a ways to go. You know, when we think about the environment, then we need to, you know, do our part as dairy farmers to, you know, to, to be part of the solution to, to have a sustainable industry in the long run. Well, it's just a large and diverse industry. It's across Canada, 10 provinces, uh, large farms, small farms. To try to get everybody on board with anything is difficult. Uh, you know, even even culturally, as far as language and, and, and that type of thing. So that, that would be our challenge, I, I believe. What is the consumer uh, gonna do keeping the 
the government in mind, keeping their behavior in mind, what are they gonna buy, for what price, where does it come from, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. We'll have to understand the consumer. We gotta keep strong as far as, as closing our borders go to imported milk. To modernize, uh, whether it's uh, processor investment in new plants and new technology, or whether it's on the farm as well, to make sure we're, you know, cutting edge. So that would be uh, the biggest challenge, in my opinion. Oh, I think we have all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, so I think the greatest opportunity is around the fact that we're producing nutrient-dense food, uh, top-quality food here in Canada, and I think that there's so much opportunity there in a way of uh, developing new products and also just um, all the products that we currently produce here uh, already in Canada. So I think uh, dairy is a very attractive uh, product. Uh, consumers, uh, uh, we know it in many fridges uh, across Canada and across the world. And uh, I believe there is a bright future for the dairy industry. I think that that same question is also uh, the opportunity. How are we going to tackle that? And I think uh, by um, going net zero by 2050, um, we are showing that we are doing the best management practices, not only for the consumer, but also for ourselves. That would be an opportunity as well, I would say, because, you know, when you've got large farms, small farms, and the regional differences, um, if you can get something going on working together, I think that would be really key on driving the industry forward. I do think agriculture, actually, like even talking about the sustainability, when it comes right down to it, the only people that actually sequester carbon are, are farmers. We're the only ones that sequester carbon. So I think once we get that message across to consumers, they'll, they'll appreciate farmers more and probably back us more. So I'm really excited about that, actually, as a farmer. So as you can hear there, Andrew, dairy producers had a lot to say. Very interesting indeed, Sarah. Hard to believe you get dairy farmers in a room together and they have an opinion. Isn't that weird? Anyway, if you listening out there would also like to have your opinions heard, don't hesitate to reach out. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and you can always write to us directly if you want. The email is podcast at canadianpodcow.ca. And now, Sarah, you have some interesting guests for us directly from the FCAGM. Over to you. So back in February, the Dairy Farmers of Canada unveiled their new goal of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 for on-farm dairy production. At the time, we did an episode on this big announcement, and if you missed it, you can, of course, find it on your favorite streaming platform or simply by going to canadianpodcow.ca. Just now at DFC's AGM, there was an interesting panel on the progress made since the announcement and about dairy farming forward to reach net zero by 2050. I'm with a couple of the panelists right now so that they can give us a bit of a sense about where things stand after some time has passed here. So let me introduce you. Today we have Annie Akmoody, Senior Director, Policy, Trade and Sustainability, and Corb Whale from Clovermead Farms, and one of the leaders that got the Dairy Farmers of Canada to establish the goal of net zero GHG by 2050. Thank you both for making the time to talk to me today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So six months after the big announcement, where are we? Where do we stand with all of this? 
Well, we stand that we've been doing a lot of work. Six months really feels like it was yesterday, but there's been multiple front that we've been leading to develop a strategy that will be more concrete for farmers. Um, one thing that we launched that I think that has really led the direction and, and core you should, uh, maybe I'll, I'll pass it on to you right after, but we formed this Farmer Sustainability Advisory Group, uh, with which we've met uh, multiple times since February, to really gather input and, and find out what was most critical from their point of view in terms of the direction this initiative should take. Yeah, so I, I think setting the setting the goal in February is really important, and then, then we had to figure out how to do it. And, and to Annie's point, one of the things that was really important was how to communicate this message to farmers so that farmers have the ability and the desire to take up some of the things we're asking them to do. So um, in February, we asked for volunteers, farmers from across the country, to join our advisory panel. We had really good uptake, and, and it goes from coast to coast. I'd love to say coast to coast to coast, but we're not there yet. Um, so 45 different farmers bring their opinions, their ideas, and their perspectives to this committee. And Annie and her team present the work that we've been working on at DFC for comment from these farmers. And it's, it's really changing the way we're moving forward. In some ways, it slows it down, but it's definitely better. So that, I think that's one of the major things that we've been working on. We promised at this meeting that we would release the how and the what, and I think we're getting there. And by hopefully fall, we'll have more concrete ideas of the how and the what. So that's great to hear that producers are being engaged throughout this process and coast to coast, as you say. Generally speaking, what's been the producer's reaction? And maybe we'll go to Corb and then to Annie. Like, what are you hearing in terms of feedback at this point? So early on, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of hesitancy about how how we're going to tackle this huge project, and and I think they're nervous about first of all how well they're doing on their farm. They don't really know. They don't have a tool to use on their farm. They don't. Am I good? Am I bad? Am I, if I am bad, how do I improve? What is, what is the low hanging fruit on my farm? Um, we, I think we learned a lot about how farmers want to get that message. So we had plans internally about how we were going to put out the message, but farmers from across the country have different ways of learning and different ways of, of taking in some of the inputs that, that we want to provide. And uh, For example, some groups really want face-to-face -face kitchen table meetings, whereas others were happy to receive their information on podcasts. So I think those are some of the things, that, some of the feedback we're getting. Yeah, yeah, and one of the concrete thing in the feedback is, you know, getting to that how. Like, how can I get involved? How can I do it? And Corb mentioned this work that we've been doing in the implementation guide that we're hoping to release this fall. We were hoping to hand it out this week, but to the, the point about the feedback we've received, we've really taken it in to make sure that it's relevant for farmers. So that's one thing that um, has been on the feedback. But you mentioned, we've talked about the farmer feedback. We've actually had a lot of other groups reach out to us to talk about what they thought about the announcement. So one of I think government was a really big one, and that's helped us build a relationship with them, but also multiple other stakeholders within the dairy supply chain and outside of the supply chain. A lot of interest was generated, and overall, the feedback was kind of a, wow, this is great. You guys are leaders within agriculture and taking this on. It's ambitious. It will be challenging, but it's great to see that farmers were you know proactive and viewing this. So, of course, we still have to be mindful of the, the farmer's feedback because ultimately they're the ones who are going to have to do this, and we're going to be working with them. But hopefully we can leverage all this outside interest and you know help them achieve some of the goals that we yeah, set forward. I was just going to ask you about that side of it 
it. So in terms of the partners and other stakeholders, how do you think we can build those relationships as we go forward? Well, you know, we've really tried since the announcement to, to build those, and we've had many discussions. And I think moving forward, as we have our plan and as we know what concretely farmers can do in the farm, then we can go back to government and say, well, listen, your programs are, are great, there's money, but it, it's not applicable. It's, it's too much administrative work. We can really tailor our conversation to say, this is our plan and this is how you can help us achieve it. And the same with other stakeholders as well, right? Now that we have a direction, it's to take it and say, well, this is what would help us. And ultimately it helps them too, because they all have, they all share similar goals. So I don't know if you have yeah, a, I, I think that's an important point is that they too have goals. They have environmental goals and GHG emission goals. So if we align with each other, we can help each other out. And I think that's, that is a true partnership. So I'd love to hear that you're trying to make it manageable on the producer side. I, I feel that overwhelm and get a sense of what that's like kind of in the producer community. But there are still producers out there that hear sustainability and they immediately think about more regulations and more rules coming their way. And it just sounds like a lot of work. Um, how would you respond to that? And we'll go to Annie perhaps and then over to Corb. Yeah, and really what, part of this question, and I think it's, it's really well-founded because there's a lot of areas where there's regulations that impact farms and they're required to fill out administrative work. But I think that's part of being this proactive where we can lead this initiative rather than it being dictated to us. So I think there's also that taken ownership that allows us to make something that works for farmer, uh, for the farmer community. And you know, on the administrative load that potentially, Corb mentioned a tool that, you know, farmers could try to find out where they're at. We're trying to work on that where we could allow farmers to have access to a tool, but really keeping it at this time where, you know, it's more of a, I want to do it, so I'll do it. And maybe if I'm not ready, then I can see how my neighbor's doing and, and you know, maybe I'll try a little bit later. So kind of this step-by-step -step will allow to take it, you know, bite-sized at a time. I don't know if you have uh, other thoughts on that, Corb. Yeah, you want to weigh in on that one? <laughs> well, so I, I think there's some validity to that apprehension, quite frankly. And I think if we look across the Atlantic Ocean to Holland and look at nitrogen legislation and you look at, at UN looking at legislating environmental programs and different trade agreements talking about the environment, that there is a legitimate worry for producers about legislation. And I think... I think one of the big benefits of DFC taking on this challenge and coming up with our own program is that we are going to be able to control the narrative, first of all, but also the program that fits farmers' needs. We're not going to wait to be legislated. We're going to provide a solution to farmers, by farmers, for farmers. And in the end, if we can meet the goals without being legislated to, that saves the government a lot of work. And it's to our benefit because it's going to be produced for us, by us. Yeah, even if you reach a point where the government starts to look at these things and you've already had 45 producers and the boards and all of those sides of it speaking into the issue, it does seem like it's setting us up for a possibly a more positive outcome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So on our last episode, we were talking about proaction. So let me ask you this. What role will proaction play in achieving net zero by 2050? Uh, so proaction pro is not directly related to this at this point. We do have an environmental module, and we've got a questionnaire that people have started filling out since it became mandatory last September. So that's going to inform us at the national level. But at this point, proaction is part of the bigger dairy quality program, and it is not directly related to sustainability. There are some moving parts in there that we will leverage in on the sustainability file. But we're also going to be working with other industry partners to 
collect data for the sustainability file as well. So I don't think there's a direct link to ProAction. Am I right, Annie? Yeah, and that's a good that's a good nuance there because ProAction is our quality assurance. It, you know, every farm in Canada is required to do it. If we had tried to do the sustainability initiative within ProAction, finding the one thing that everybody in Canada could do would have been really difficult and not allow us really to reach the potential we could with, you know, lists of wide-ranging options. So I think that's a, an important nuance in terms of the, you know, the, the way the two programs are structured. There's one link perhaps that we can mention, though, because there's the environment questionnaire within the environment module of ProAction that will generate a lot of data. And I think that will be able to inform the sustainability strategy moving forward in terms of, you know, what is it that farmers are doing? What is it that they're not doing as much and where we could potentially, you know, leverage some of the partnerships that we could build to incentivize some of the adoptions that we find through that that are low. But that, that would be the main connection, I'd say, between the two. So what are the next steps for farms? What can we expect? Um, you've mentioned the fall timeline now, some changes with that. What's it going to look like um, from a producer perspective in terms of when this sustainability file will roll out for us and, and what we can start to do to get engaged? Yeah, concretely, well, one thing, there's a I'm in campaign where um, farmers hopefully can start feeling more engaged in the process, but more concretely from that, uh, in the fall, we will release an implementation guide, which is, is meant to really explain all the best management practices that can have an impact on the farm. And that guide will include uh, the feasibility of projects, descriptions, and also if there's a return on investment and, and if there's not potential resources that could be helpful in, in putting in place projects. From there, we'll also move to develop a farmer-to-farmer -farmer network, and we're actually working with our farmer sustainability advisory group on finding what's the best path forward. We've talked a lot about coast-to-coast. -coast. Canada's a big country, so it's not as simple as, you know, sending Corb around the country to talk to everyone and share the good news about a certain project. We really need to find ambassadors in every region and, and work to develop that. So that's going to be a big component that we've heard would be um, important to increase adoption. And another big piece on the farmer side would be the educational resources. We were told that, you know, webinars are time consuming and burdensome, but perhaps we, you know, can include some discussions on podcasts, um, having support on farms. So those are going to be the next steps that we'll be looking at in the fall. And in parallel, there's going to be continued marketing efforts, communications efforts. Um, we're going to develop a sustainability website uh, online. And our, our team of experts is working behind the scenes to really create that journey where consumers can look at different keywords and be taken to the right place on our websites and understand you know, what it is that farmers are doing um, on our farms. I love the sense that it's not one size fits all. I mean, we know how distinct Canada is throughout the regions, even throughout our own provinces, what the, the variability in people's farms and their businesses is like. So I'd love to hear that there's a lot of different ways you can do this and that the supports are there uh, to help people find their path forward. I know you're both really busy, so I'll let you get back to the AGM and related business. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us again today about this. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Canadian dairy farmers are on their way to net zero by 2050, producing renewable energy, preserving biodiversity, and, oh, someone agrees with that. Dairy Farmers of Canada, net zero by 2050. Next guest, Sarah, is a dairy farmer in Dundas County in eastern Ontario. He and his family have been in the dairy business in the province since moving from Switzerland in 1979. He is a familiar face on many dairy farmer committees and is always pushing 
Business Initiatives, which is why he's with us today. Nick Thurler, welcome to the Canadian Podcast. Thank you. So Nick, at the DFCAGM, you announced a new partnership between Green Energy Trading Corporation, or GetCorp, and Green for Life, designed specifically for the dairy industry. Can you tell us about this program? Yeah, for sure. So through anaerobic dig- biodigesters, we take the farm organics waste, mostly manure, to produce natural gas, renewable natural gas, RNG, to be sold on the market. And uh, the digestate be returned back to the farm with the nutrient added value. And uh, it'll be like supply management. The program organized organics go back and forth from the farms. The RNG will be collectively sold to the market and share the revenue to the farms. Now, Nick, it's it's a pretty interesting uh, program and a project. And, you know, just for everybody's sake, the full disclosure is, you know, we've helped here and so has our producer, Bruce Sargent, with the launch video and some other stuff as Get Corp gets off the ground. But one of the things that stands out for me is the fact, and, and you described it a little bit there, just, you know, that digesters maybe aren't new, but it's for that farm. This is about bringing that option of digesters to a whole bunch of farms without having one on every farm. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So it's a technology from uh, a newer technology from Denmark. So when we set this up, we wanted to make it uh, available to all farms, not just a few farms, a few larger farms. After going to Denmark, I, I realized how easy it was to actually, when, when you set up right, to move money back and forth. This way, every farm could benefit from it. So, Nick, what kind of challenges are you trying to address in the industry with this initiative? So, I don't think I'm trying to address any challenge in particular. As a farmer, we always do a good job with our land and trying to do the best we can. But there's always uh, room to improve. By doing this, I think it's a, it would help our industry to get to net zero by, uh, by uh, 2050. So it's, it's a really ambitious project. You've launched the pilot. How much money are we talking about? And is there government support involved? Is this a privately funded thing? Like what, what's it looking like here at this point? So we, uh, we partner with GFL. So it was a nice partnership because they, they kind of think the same as us, a community working together. It's a, it's a program that's financially viable without uh, government fundings. So there's no money from the government. And uh, so uh, GFL committed to uh, $56 million to get six digesters, to get the pilot project off the ground, which is six digesters across Ontario. And, and that six, Nick, is, um, you know, really just the beginning. One of the things that surprised me when I first learned about it was the fact that your goal is to get over 300 digesters built across the whole country by the end of the decade, which, I mean, when you're talking over 300 is coming up very quickly. Um, to me, it sounds ambitious. I mean, what does it represent? And and how do you, you know, you talk about the first six coming, which is a great start, but how do you get six to 300? Yeah, it's ambitious for sure. And I've got some uh, really good partners to, uh, to get to this. So we wanted a way for the dairy industry to work together and make a collective impact because working together is, you always get uh, uh, greater returns. 
So if we if we would hold on too slowly, it would be probably just pockets in and there, and to get across, get the interest uh, of all Kenny, all dairy farms, the quicker the better. The rollout captures 80% of the manure across Canada. It's a minimum of reducing a 1.5 million metric ton of, of uh, GHG emission per year. So to get this done, we will have plans for service delivery, transport delivery, uh, operating platform, and uh, that we can scale as planned. Even constru construction uh, uh, crews are already getting lined up uh, over in Denmark. We know the quality of the service is key to go a program, so we've been prepared for that. Bringing ex the expert to Denmark, who had who have already successfully scaled project with farmers, um, we feel that we should be able to get this done. So if we know one thing about our industry, it's that it's extremely vast and diverse. There's no one size fits all kind of solution for farms across the country. But I understand you've addressed that in uh, providing kind of varying levels of participation for farmers. So I learned the last couple of days, there's three of those. Can you explain to us what those are and what's in it for the farms? Yeah, for sure. So since we, our company is going to look after the service, we wanted a one size digester. So we only have one, uh, one like same size pump, same, a lot easier for, uh, for uh, servicing. So we created two, uh, two ways to participate. So there's a participant, a host farm and a plant owner. So the participant he uh, he would get a we would get a contract with him for his manure for uh, hopefully for 10, 15 years. So we'll go pick up his manure, bring it back to the digester, bring it back to him. We'll pay him a fee for for his manure, and then he gets it digested back. That's uh, thirty five percent more available to the plant, so he should get a saving on uh, his fertilizer. And then he's going to have a share profit in um, in uh, the get dairy. So every farmer is going to be, it's going to act like a co-op. And at the end of the year, there'll be a dividend according to the amount of manure that they, uh, they uh, ship to the digester. The host farm, so the host farm would get the digester on his farm. The company would pay him for, uh, uh, for his land would pay him from his manure, he would get the, the the bump on the fertilizer and the same thing. And then the plant owner, so the plant owner would, uh, so you, you would put 20% down, the rest get financed by the, the company. And then uh, the same thing, you, uh, so a plant owner, it would cost you money to get into it, but the return would be a little bit better than the other two. The participant in the host farm, they don't have to uh, put any money out and they get a, a like a steady uh, in, uh, income. Now, Nick, it's it's clear that obviously you believe in this project for all that you've done to kind of bring it to this stage. I know that construction has started on your farm with building one of these. Um, can you talk a little bit about what stage you're at in construction and, and what needs to be done for, you know, not only you to install and operate it, but for anybody else down the road that might be doing it as well? 
so yeah, the, the construction started on my place. They're putting the foundations in for the silos right now. So it's just like when uh, you build uh, anything else, there's always extra work to uh, involve, but like um, get the ground ready and that kind of stuff. But other than that, it's, uh, yeah, the company puts the digester in and uh, I took it on to, to get my manure to the, the pre-pit tank. So I got put a bunch of pipes in to, to get the, all the manures got to go to the one uh, pre-mix tank. So that's about uh, the size of the work really that's involved with me. And then to operate it, um, I imagine there'll be a walkthrough every morning or something, but we, we will have a service team going around, stopping in two to three times a, a week to do the maintenance and what needs to, to get done. And then the plant is uh, um, super, supervised or watched by uh, Green Island in Denmark 24-7. Well, this sounds like a really interesting and scalable opportunity, Nick. What are the next steps for the program and where can our listeners learn more about it if, if this has piqued their interest and they want to get more details? Yeah, so we, we have a website now as of yesterday, I believe. So it's get-corp.ca. So you could go on the website. There's uh, lots of information on there. There's a place to register. It doesn't uh, doesn't uh, bind you to nothing, but uh, if you register on the website, you will get updates of uh, what's happening, and uh, you could keep track of it that way. Well, Nick, it's an exciting venture, and I and I certainly have got to say how uh, how fascinated I love when you know as an industry we can kind of work together to tackle some of those, and I know that. You know, the whole concern that our consumers have over greenhouse gas emissions to be able to solve that in a big way and to do it together uh, sounds like a pretty exciting opportunity. So I'm excited to see how, how you come along with it and, and just really thank you for taking the time to join us uh, on the podcast. Okay, thank you very much. And that's it for this edition of the Canadian Podcast. Well, Sarah, it was great to have you in Ottawa to report back about was, what was going on at the DFC AGM. Yeah, it's been great to be here and to, I always like to touch base with the, with the organization and get a sense of what Dairy Farmers of Canada is doing. And man, there's a, a lot going on and it's impressive work. So looking forward to seeing all of this unfold in the months ahead. Now, you did mention you are also looking forward to getting home. I'm, I'm curious because I always see pictures that you share online of you driving tractor and looking after cows and calves and bookwork and all that kind of stuff. Is everybody at home pretty excited to have you back to be able to do that too? I think they've been having a pretty good time without me. I made it out here between cuts, which was great. We got a cutoff right before I left. Um, I've got a little bit of accounting to do when I get back, but the sun's been out. They've been in the pool. They've been barbecuing and, of course, doing daily chores and all of that. But I, I think they've had an all right time. So I'm not, not feeling too guilty, but definitely looking forward to seeing their faces when I get back home. Well, I hope they left at least one pool party or one barbecue for you to attend. Here you are doing all this work in Ottawa and they're just loving life, are they? <laughs> well, it's been freezing cold at home, so I understand the sunshine's there and I just hope our corn is turning uh, to green from a strange shade of yellow at this point. So <laughs> it's good to hear the nice weather is upon us. 
Oh, well, that is good. So, and thank you very much for being in Ottawa. And certainly to Bruce Sargent and Carl Belanger, our production team also on site, helping you and helping the Canadian pod cow at the AGM. Yeah, it's been a treat to meet both of those guys in person this time. Uh, so I've enjoyed that. And a big thanks. Uh, we can't go let this one go unsaid to the Dairy Farmers of Canada for sponsoring our podcast. And of course, to you, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for being here and connecting virtually with us. And thanks to the listeners for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you soon on another episode of the Canadian Podcast.